you, choir. Well, what a wonderful day of worship it's already been. Uh, so grateful to perform a, a baptism at, uh, at Woodmont Baptist Church. Thank you, Chris, and thank you, Adam, and, and your, your family for being here today. What a special day this is in the life of our church. Um, we're grateful, too, for people behind the scenes. You, you don't always see uh, uh, J- J- Janelle Schlamp and uh, Carolyn Steinhouse and Rich Innes and never had someone you know, help me in and out of waiters before, but that was very nice. Thank you, Rich and, and everybody. And I also heard a rumor that someone told me this morning, I don't know if they were kidding or not, that there was a leak in the waders. I don't know if you know this or not, but a preacher trick is that we wear waders, rubber, you know, hunting waders when we get in the baptism so we can just quick change, you know, come out here. So I was nervous that uh, any time, you know, the, the, the waders would start leaking, but uh, Ron assured me they had replaced them and that they were functional. And so I'm dry and everything's good. So thank you, uh, church, for that. Today we're going to wrap up our series, Uh, Lent is drawing to a close, which means next Sunday is a a special day in the life of our church, Palm Sunday, where we get to celebrate uh, the beginning of Holy Week, the the most special time really of year for for the Christian church. I'm so excited about uh, spending my my first Holy Week with you all here at Woodmont. And then of course, the week after that is the the Super Bowl. It's uh, the Super Bowl for us. It's Easter Sunday. We're going to celebrate the risen Christ together. Regular schedule, there'll be Sunday morning Bible study at 9.15. Worship will be at 10.30. It it will end before noon, okay? It's not going to go for two hours. It will end, uh, you know, 11.40 or so. But uh, it's going to be a beautiful day of worship. I hope you and your family will make it a priority to, to join us for that special day. So today our our passage is from Deuteronomy 30, which is one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. And if you look at our church website, which I'm sure many of you do all the time as you peruse our our church website, uh, you will notice that our our, our staff has listed some of our favorite Scriptures, some of our our most meaningful passages to us, and Richard has this passage listed as his guiding verse, Deuteronomy 30, verses 19 and 20. It's it's the end of Moses' speech in the entire book. It's the, the last words that he'll ever say before his death. He says a little bit in chapter 31, but it's, it's kind of perfunctory handing over power to Joshua. I know we're, we're well into Judges now in our reading. We're way, we're way past Deuteronomy. But this is such a crucial passage that ties this whole series together. We've been looking at, at having brave hearts and all these different passages in Deuteronomy where people had melted hearts, where they were scared or they were fearful of doing something. Their hearts were not where God wanted them to be. So God wants them to have these brave hearts in order to live the kind of life that he made them to live. And today, we're going to look at the last part that ties it all together. Moses, remember here, this is uh, him speaking to the people of God, the, the millions, probably two million scholars think, Israelites, who were gathered on the plains of Moab, which is just on the east side of the Jordan River. They're looking into the promised land. After 40 years of wandering in the desert, Moses assembles all the people from all the the 12 tribes, and he has them on these plains, and he's speaking these words to them of the law, showing them God's ways, recounting the history of how they ended up there, showing what God has done and what he's doing now. And then finally, here in chapter 30, he says, so what's it going to be? It's the decision time. This is like the invitation at the end of the sermon, right? This is where the money's on the game. What will it be? What will your decision be? Remember that Moses, too, is the greatest prophet of all time. He's he's the one who led God's people out of slavery in Egypt with a 
miraculous, powerful acts that the Lord did through him, where he throws his staff down and it becomes a serpent. Moses is also the one who met with God on Mount Sinai to receive the law. He received the, the tablets in stone that, that the Lord had written. And then he's also the one that we know he met with God face to face in the tent of meeting. And he came out of that tent, and, and what was he like? He was glowing. His countenance, his face was glowing from being face to face with the Lord Almighty. Moses is the greatest prophet ever, and now finally here are his last words. So they're incredibly urgent, aren't they? It reminds me of Jesus' words, you know, John chapters 13 through 17 are his kind of farewell speech to his disciples in the upper room before he's betrayed and arrested and crucified. There's an urgency there. That's the same thing with these words here. He's really saying, that I'm going to die soon. Listen to me. He's pleading with his people passionately. It's a really powerful passage. You know, yesterday my, my wife and my three children left just to, to go to her hometown, Dayton, Tennessee, in East Tennessee, to celebrate her nephew's, um, our nephew's birthday party. And then she's throwing her cousin a baby shower, her first baby for her cousin. So they left yesterday. And even though they're only gone for about 30 hours or so, I still hugged my children, right? I gave them kisses. I told Jude, help your mother. You know, you're the oldest child. You know, be a, be a good helper with these other crazy kids. And then I, I hugged May twice. I gave her an extra hug and I, I kissed her and I told her I loved her and to be a good, you know, girl for mom. And I, I put the baby, I put Isaiah in his car seat and kissed him on the head because even though it's only 30 hours I'm saying goodbye for, you want your last words before you say goodbye to matter, right? These are Moses' last words before he says goodbye to his people forever. So the entire book of Deuteronomy is divided into these farewell speeches. The first one is where he recounts how they ended up here, the history of how they left Egypt and wandered in the wilderness. And then the second one is, is full of these laws, right? These general laws about not having idols like we talked about in Deuteronomy 15. And then it gets really specific as well with laws about justice and marriage and, and human sexuality and, and how we are to treat our neighbors and, and all those things about business and, and all those covenant guidelines that we get. So the third speech now is what we begin in chapter 27, where he lays out, look, I've given you all these laws. I've given you all these commandments, all these ways of God. And if you follow them, what I'm saying to you is you will be blessed. You'll experience the blessing that the Lord has for you. And if you don't, there will be curse. There will be destruction. There will be ruin and, and de degradation if you choose not to follow them. That's the third speech. It starts in chapter 27. And then he, he goes on with the blessing and curse idea in chapter 28. And then in chapter 29, he initiates this massive covenant renewal ceremony there on the plains of Moab. He says, all right, before we go into the land, we're going to do this. We're going to have a massive celebration, a massive service of renewal and rededication to the covenant promises of God. Before they go into the land, it's fitting and appropriate that they have a ceremony where they remember the words of the covenant, right? Remember Exodus 19? They're on the mountain at Sinai, and the Lord says in Exodus 19, verses 4 through 6, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you 
just you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. If you missed Simple Worship on Wednesday night, it was awesome. My buddy, Nathan Michael, who's a, a translator with Wycliffe Bible Translators, he's been in Africa for five years. He reminded us of this truth that we are priests, a kingdom of priests, covenant people of God, a holy nation set apart for God's purposes. Moses reminds the people here of this covenant, of this agreement that they've entered into that God initiated, that he will be their God and, and they will be his people, and that he will continue to miraculously provide for them, to miraculously deliver them from bondage even today. So here in chapter 30, we see the culmination for the entire book. It's the end of, of all these speeches. It's the, the invitation at the end of the sermon. Let's look at verses 11 through 14. For this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it? Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it? But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. Our staff has been meeting, our, our ministerial staff, on Thursday afternoons, Thursday mornings, and whenever we can all get together, our schedules are so crazy. But what we've done is, is we've dwelt in the Word. Have you ever done that? What, what that means is that we've chosen a text of Scripture and just read it slowly and meditate on it, spend some time in silence, and then talk about what did you hear, what did you experience in that word. And we use the same word, the same passage for five months. And you know what text we used? This one. We dwelt in this text for five months, listening to God's voice. And it's amazing how Scripture is living and active and how you pick up on different things each time. But as I read these words, I don't think I'll ever read them again without thinking about our time together on, on Thursdays, Andy. We really appreciate that time with you guys, that kind of our small group. And what Moses is saying here as he begins the invitation time is, look, this is not too hard for you. This is not out of your reach. This covenant is not some bad deal that's going to lock you into some life of, of misery. That's not what it's about. It's about freedom. Christianity isn't about do's and don'ts and, and more rules and regulations. It's about freedom and being free to live the way that God made us to live. And furthermore, he says God, the author and the goal of the covenant, is not some unattainable, distant figure who's completely shrouded in mystery. No, God has chosen to reveal himself to us through his written word, right? through his commandments, through his ways, but also for us now, obviously, the fullest way that God has revealed himself to us is in the person of Jesus Christ, who came to earth as a human, who didn't consider equality with God as something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the form of a human and a servant who was obedient unto death, even death on a cross. The English writer and the, the poet and theologian G.K. Chesterton, one of my favorites, he's kind of snarky, he wrote in the late 19th century, early 20th century, brilliantly wrote that the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. I'll repeat that again. He says the Christian ideal has not been, found want, has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. 
What he's saying here is that no one has lived out the full Christian ideal, the principles of Christ, and said, yeah, it's not really what it's cracked up to be. No one's ever done that. No one's ever really lived the Christian life as it's supposed to be lived and then said, eh, it didn't really provide the kind of meaning or purpose or intentionality for my life that I thought. No. But it's, it's also true that people every day walk away from the true historic faith saying, it's too hard. It's too hard for me. It's too constrictive on my lifestyle. Or it's too high and too lofty for me to attain. Chesterton says, no. That's, that's not the point. It's not too difficult. We can do this. Deuteronomy tells us that it's not too difficult for us, that the Christian ideal is not in heaven. It's not beyond the sea. It's not out of reach for us as human beings. Yes, God is transcendent, okay? You know what that word means? It means that there are aspects of God that we will never fully know on this side of eternity. That's true. There are some things that are unknowable about God, yes, but here's the point of Christianity. God has chosen to condescend to us. He has chosen to graciously reveal parts of himself to us that we can know. We can have a relationship with God. We can absolutely get to know the high and holy God of the universe who controls everything by the rule of his own sovereign will. We can get to have a relationship with that God. That's the premise of Christianity. Long ago, before God came up with the greatest way of how we do this, the greatest way of, of, of God's condescension is through, again, Jesus Christ, right? Jesus Christ, who, who moved into our neighborhood, who set up his dwelling among us and became like us. That's how we know God. That's the greatest act of condescension that ever happened in the history of condescension. <laughs> Before that, God came down in a way to meet with Moses. He condescended to Moses on Mount Sinai in order to give him the law. That's why his face was glowing. Look at Exodus 31, 18. It'll be on the screen. God gave to Moses when he'd finished speaking with him. God spoke with him. This is not a, a transcendent God. This is a God that we can know. The two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone, written with the finger of God. He is graciously spoken to Moses face to face, and he has graciously written down the ways that we should live in order to fulfill our God-given design and purpose. In the previous chapter, chapter 29, verse 29, Moses explains that the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed to us by God and to our children forever, that we may do all the works of this law. What God has revealed is no longer a secret to you and me. Paul writes later in Ephesians that prophets long to have the insight into the mystery of God's will that we have now because we know that he sent Jesus Christ to fulfill his purposes of redeeming the world back unto himself. What God has revealed to us is not a secret. We can know God and his ways through the gracious gift of revelation, self-revelation that God gives to us. And not only are these ways revealed to us through God's condescension and, and, and given to us, for, but they're given to us for a purpose. They make us fruitful. They make us flourish. They make us thrive and, and productive in this world. In Isaiah 45, 19, God himself speaks. He says, I did not speak in secret in a land of darkness. I didn't say to the offspring of Jacob, seek me in vain. <laughs> I, 
think God's being funny there. Yeah, seek me for no purpose. Go ahead. I didn't say that. I, the Lord, speak the truth. I declare what is right. You know, so many of the world's religions, even some commentaries I read on Deuteronomy said that in the ancient Near East that a lot of their religions of this time involved these unfruitful practices of desperate searches for meaning and for truth. Does that sound like our world today? Absolutely. Every one of you knows someone who's desperate for meaning and truth and purpose in their lives, right? God says in Isaiah, I, I didn't say seek me in vain. Seek me and you will what? Find me. Seeking for the Lord is never in vain. It's always productive. Always. Because when we seek him, we find him. In verse 14 in Deuteronomy 30, God says that, that Moses says that God's commandment is in your mouth and in your heart. He fully expects God's people to be saying scripture, to be speaking scripture. How often do you speak scripture? I was convicted of this. You know, nothing humbles you more than having kids, right? <laughs> My children humble me every day. They show me where I fall short every day. And one night I was tucking Jude in uh, to his bed at night, and my wife had this great idea of, of having our children's life verses painted by a lady in our neighborhood who paints, and she, she put them on canvases, and we hang them over our children's bed. So there's scripture over our kids when they go to sleep at night, which is pretty cool. And Jude, who is seven now, and he's a great reader, he loves to read all the time, he memorized his verse. It's a tricky one. 1 Timothy 6.11 says, But as for you, O man of God, flee all these things. Pursue, instead, I have to look at it up, righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. These are things we want Jude to pursue, to chase after in his life. I said something about the verse, and Jude immediately recited it. And I said, I can't recite it. I don't have it memorized. And Jude did. He was speaking it over me. That's humbling, isn't it? My daughter came home from preschool. She goes to Clearview Baptist in Franklin where we live uh, for preschool. And she came home and she was singing some song and reciting Song of Solomon 2.12. And I said, I have no idea what Song of Solomon 2.12 says. And I said that. I said, I don't even know what that says, May. And so Jude goes and gets his Bible and looks it up. He looks it up. And we read it together. Speaking scripture in our home. My wife writes scripture uh, on a chalkboard that we have in our kitchen. You know, how often is scripture spoken in your home? I, I'm convicted by this passage that we need to be saying Scripture over each other more and more. It's powerful. It's living. It's active. By the way, Song of Solomon 2.12 says, The flowers appear on the earth. The time of singing has come. It's a spring verse. So after letting us know that this is actually doable, Moses then says to the people, You've heard all this, so now what are you going to do about it? What will your decision be? You must make a choice now. God's revelation always confronts us with a choice. When God shows us something, you can either believe it or not believe it. You can act on it or not act on it. You can follow that way or continue to go your own way. God's revelation always confronts us with a choice. This morning, you have a choice to speak scripture in your home or not. What will you do? You have lots of choices and our choices matter. We'll get to this section here. God's revelation leads us to this choice. Look at verses 15 through 20. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, Deuteronomy 6, the Shema, 
by walking in his ways, not your own ways. And by uh, obeying the commandments of the Lord, by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply. The promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. You shall live and multiply. You will be fruitful on the earth. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. The promises of God are yes and amen. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and to possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him, for he is your life and length of days that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. Our choices matter, don't they? Yes, God is sovereign. Yes, God does rule over every molecule in the entire uh, universe and the multiverse. I don't even know what's out there. We don't, scientists don't even know, but God knows. And he's in charge of it all. It all goes according to his will. But our choices still matter. There's great mystery in this. Tom Wayman and I had a conversation about this this week on Tuesday. Our choices matter greatly. Why? If God's purposes are going to be carried out with or without us, then why do our choices matter? Because when we make choices to live God's way, it puts us into God's will. We remove ourselves from God's will and his goodness and his purposes by choosing not to obey. Does that make sense? Yes, God's will is never thwarted, but you can choose to be in the game or to be out of the game. I want to be in the game. I'm going to be a part of what God's doing in this world. Here God says, I've set before you two options. Choose wisely. Here today that we're talking about the fear of choosing poorly. Choose wisely. I always think about that uh, scene in the Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? Where the, the knight tells Indiana Jones, choose wisely. You have chosen wisely, he says. That's what we're talking about here today. Choose the right path. Choose life. Reject death and destruction and pain and suffering. Choose life. The first time I can remember hearing this, this text preached was at, at one of the churches that I, the, the church that I served in Birmingham, Alabama. We were celebrating our 40th anniversary and they brought back a former pastor, Dr. Paul Baisden, a brilliant preacher. And, and he got up there and he was kind of prophetic. He was kind of frazzled, you know, and he'd been out of the church for five or six years and he said, you know, I, I had a whole thing prepared and I just, this morning I woke up at three in the morning and the Lord said, scrap it, throw it away. I got a new word for you. And he said, I, I want to read Deuteronomy 30. And he read this text to us at Brookwood Baptist Church in Birmingham and we were in a time of transition. You know anything about that? <laughs> he, was in a, he was telling us that you have a choice now in this time of transition, you as a body, remember that the Bible is written mostly to communities. We tend to individualize everything about us, me, 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 but it's written to a community, isn't it? He says, remember that you as a body have a choice before you. You can go this way 
or this way. You can choose life or you can choose death. You can choose to flourish or you can choose to die. What's it going to be in this time? It was powerful, man. It was a really powerful sermon that I probably will never forget. That was in 2008, and I'll never forget it. These choices matter both corporately and individually. God tells us here, too, in the text what will happen down each path that we choose to take. Those who choose to walk down the path of obedience will live and multiply and flourish and experience the blessing and the miraculous provision of the Lord in their lives. And then it says that this is not a a simple decision. You can't just say, hmm, I think I'll choose life. That sounds good. That's not what it's about. It's about devoting your life to this choice. It's a choice that defines your entire life. It's a lifestyle about living in step with how God made you to be, how he designed you to live in his world. When we live that way, then that path leads to flourishing, to fulfilling God's promises to his people, that they're going to experience the kind of of, of, uh, promise and provision that the Lord gave to our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then in, in verse 17, Moses says, what will happen if you choose the other path? Those who walk down the path of rebellion, whose hearts turn away from the Lord and to other gods, to idols, like we talked about a few weeks ago in Deuteronomy 15. They will not experience the the blessed life in God's provision, and they won't live long in the land that God has promised to them. They're not going to flourish and thrive, but like so many people in our world, and you know people in your life like this, they're going to be filled with despair. They're going to live lives of vanity, chasing after the wind. They're going to live lives that that lead to nothing but despair and destruction and and death, ultimately. Moses doesn't remain impartial either. I love this. He's like a good pastor here. He says, choose life. In verse 19, he says, choose life. God's put these choices before you. Choose wisely. He's passionate. He's pleading with the people. Go down the the path of life and the, the life of blessing and provision so that you can live long. Loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, listening to him, and holding fast to him. For he is your life. There is no life apart from them, from, from God. You know, John 15, Jesus tells us, I, I'm the vine, you are the branches, remain in me, and you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You will perish. You may say today, well, of course I want to live. Who willingly goes down the path of death? Nobody, right? Well, I heard one preacher say, no one stands on the edge of the lake of fire that's mentioned in Revelation and, and jumps in and says, oh, cool, that looks great. <laughs> you know, I heard the same preacher say, well, no one, you know, takes up smoking in order to get lung cancer, right? <laughs> no one says, that sounds like a neat way to die. I'd love to get lung cancer. I'm going to smoke. No one does that. What they want is cigarettes, right? I mean, I'm not bashing cigarettes. I'm just saying this is the thought process, Okay. No one takes up smoking in order to get lung cancer, but it is often a side result of it. We don't choose death, right, consciously, but we choose sin, don't we? We choose sin all the time. We think it looks great. What we want is sin. What smokers want is to smoke, to to have cigarettes. They don't want lung cancer. What we want is sin in our lives sometimes, and what we get is death. You ever heard that, that little saying? I think it's so true that sin always... Uh, what is it? Sin always takes you further than you want to go. It makes you pay more than you want to pay. And it makes you stay longer than you want to stay. You heard that before? It's really true, isn't it? Sin always takes you further than you want to go. 
makes you pay more than you wanted to pay, and makes you stay longer than you wanted to stay. I think that's the path that leads to death. And it's about living in obedience. That's really the key here. To choose life means to choose God's ways over your ways. To choose God's word as best and guiding your life. Jesus tells us that Satan's trying to destroy us. In John 10, 10, he says the thief comes to what? Steal, kill, and destroy. He's trying to destroy us. Physically, emotionally, spiritually, Satan wants us dead. Jesus says, but I have come that you may have life and have it to the fullest. To have abundant life, to flourish is why Jesus came. Which path will you take? The path of destruction or the path of flourishing? So let's apply this today to both our church and to ourselves. How can we choose the path of life here at Woodmont? How can we flourish as a body of Christ, as a community of believers? Well, for starters, let's spend a year in God's word. If you're not reading the Bible through with us this year, you can start today. You can pick up a bookmark. Andy made these great little bookmarks throughout here at our, our Welcome Center. And you can find the reading plan online. We can start by praying more together. Next Sunday, I'm going to start, if you want to join me, about 1020 in the fireside room, just praying for the service. Just five minutes of prayer. About 1020 in the fireside room. If you want to join me, I'll be in there. We can start by loving each other, praying for each other, worshiping in unity, getting on the same page together as we seek God's will for our church. What about individually? Where are you choosing sin? I know you don't want to die, but where are you choosing sin over God's ways in your own life today? Maybe today it's time for you to, to commit to personally walking down the path of life today. There is a clear choice here. You guys know the choice. God's ways or our way. Maybe you found yourself walking down the path of destruction. Maybe you've seen how your choices have led you to a place that you don't want to be. Maybe sin has taken you further than you wanted to go. Maybe it's make, made you pay more than you wanted to pay and, and made you stay longer than you wanted to stay. Today is one of our last Sundays in Lent. Lent is all about repenting, returning to the Lord, to choosing life all over again. And it's not just a, a season that we need to do this. It's daily. It's daily. I have to repent every day and say, God, forgive me. I return to you. I don't want to choose sin. I want to choose you, God. That's what it's about today. Do you really want to choose God today? I pray that you do. May God stir our hearts together this morning. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for giving us this clear choice of living in your ways and flourishing. We know that your ways are best, Lord. We confess to you today that we believe your promises are true, that they are all yes and amen in Jesus Christ. And God, we commit today to walking the path of life. May we as Woodmont Baptist Church choose life. May we choose to flourish May we spend time in your word together corporately and individually as you transform us into the body you would have us to be. May you move our hearts to action so that it changes our neighborhood. May we be a blessing in Green Hills, in Nashville, and beyond. May we love each other in such a way that people see our genuine love for one another and they feel a sense of your spirit and unity in this place. Lord, we we ask for forgiveness. We repent of choosing our own ways and the sin that we so desire over your ways. May you call us 
to a new commitment today of life and flourishing. We love you. We pray this all in your high and your holy name, the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Maybe you've never chosen to walk the path of life really for the first time ever. Through Jesus Christ, we have been given access to life. We've been given a way to flourish, to have forgiveness for our sins, and to have new life, just like Chris and Adam showed us. <coughs> Maybe you've never been baptized, and today you need to get baptized, or you want to get baptized. We're not going to do it right now. We can schedule it later. I'd love to talk to you about either of those. Whatever it is you need to decide today, don't leave this place without making that decision. Let's stand and sing.